If you don't have players on the field with the right skills, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and once again, it's just me tonight. It is 11.27 p.m. on Wednesday, the 24th. Uh, the Pistons have just finished up losing 128-118 to to the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, pretty good game, all things considered. You know, Jeremy Grant didn't play, so that's immediately, you know, cause for concern. Not like concern like oh my god something's wrong with jeremy grant but concern like oh my god there's no way the pistons are going to be in this game without jeremy grant and they managed to find a way right they managed to still be in this game they managed to keep it competitive uh, until they only scored 22 points in the fourth quarter um big standout was you know mason Plumley had 21 9 and 7 mason Plumley seems to just like really hate the new orleans pelicans for some reason can't really explain that one. New Orleans Pelican guys on Twitter were also kind of mentioning that Plumlee uh, turns into Wilt Chamberlain against them. And I don't know if that's like a Steven Adams thing or if that's like a he just like doesn't like the team thing. But like, hey, Mason Plumlee always appears to ball against the Pelicans. Maybe we should play them more. Who's to say? Uh, Josh Jackson also scored 25 points on 18 shots, six assists, three rebounds, uh, only one turnover. Good night from Josh. Um, we Josh has a lot of juice, right? Like I know, I kind of get on him because it's like, hey, we we'd like you to be more uh, more efficient and uh, shoot a little bit less. But someone's got to absorb all those shots, and it looks like Josh is really stepping up to do that. Um, yeah. Okay. So I before we like really get deep into stuff tonight, though, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. Um, number one. I did a podcast with Detroit Bad Boys' own Kuka Hill. It's called uh, Koo's Ballroom Podcast. Thank you to Koo for uh, having me on that pod. It dropped today or yesterday if you're listening to this tomorrow, which is Thursday. Uh, so go listen to that. Go find that. Koo was a very gracious host. I appreciate him having me on. Um, but there might be times I repeat myself over the course of both of those podcasts. I am sorry. I don't remember like everything, but if I make the same point twice, that just means I think it's a true point and it's a really good point. Um, the other thing that I wanted to just note really quickly was the NBA schedule drop. We got the second half of the NBA schedule. Um, it is an NBA schedule. It's 41. I think it's 41 games. Yeah, it's uh, Pistons have eight back-to-backs. They have a nice long uh, West Coast trip that they're going to lose all their games on. Apparently, they play at Denver again. And you remember, obviously, the the COVID scare that they had in Denver last time. So hopefully we don't get a repeat of that. Um, The only other like super noticeable thing about the schedule on my like perusal of it was that they play 
what, nine of their last 11 games at home, I believe. And so if you are so inclined, if you are tank inclined, like we have talked about on this podcast for the last couple of weeks, you know, the Pistons have played better at home. Teams generally play better at home. Young dudes in particular tend to play better at home. Uh, If you're hoping the Pistons are going to be in good lottery position, might not be super conducive uh, to having a super long, uh, having a long stretch of games at home if you're trying to uh, perhaps lose those games. <laughs> so again, you know, I'm I'm worried about the tank. It's not something I'm overly concerned about when you factor in the the schedule getting more uh, more difficult or easier because they've already played a really difficult schedule. It's kind of whatever. Like we'll we'll see what happens, right? Like they split the games with the Magic this week for the for uh, for Christ's sake. Uh, speaking of those games, though. The they split those games with the Magic, and the big story out of those games was Saban Lee, backup point guard revelation Saban Lee. Saban had twenty one and four in the win against Orlando on Monday, right? They wins, yeah, Monday. Um, and he had you know thirteen and four tonight. Has played solid in all three games. Um, I think he scored double digits in, in all three games that he's been. Um, he's got an extensive run at, at backup point guard. Um, what's been a surprise to me, at least, he's, he's four of four from three. Um, that was not uh, the expectation uh, coming out of coming out of college, coming into the draft. Uh, his shot was fairly busted, and so him being able to show that he can, you know, make shots if you leave him open, I think is really big for him. Uh, initially, teams are going to. Uh, teams are going to initially just not cheat off of him as much as I thought they were going to, and and that's a big win for him. The other thing that's obviously like showing is the athleticism, the straight line athleticism. I've talked about this a bunch. He tried to kill Nikola Vucevic. Um, that was really impressive. Everybody enjoyed that greatly. Um, but his ability to just get to his spots, his ability to take his time with his dribble and, and penetrate and, and make plays for others, He's still able to make decisions while he's moving very quickly. That's something that I think a lot of point guards struggle with very early on in their career. Uh, they, they kind of predetermine what they're going to do uh, before they start doing it, then use their you know superior athleticism to go and try and do that thing. If, whether or not the defense adjusts or it's, it's still, it remains the right read after you jump or something like that. Um, Saban has really impressed me by keeping his head by doing like little things right like he keeps his head up we've seen him uh do like the steve nash dribble you know through the entirety of the lane like come out through the other side and and look to make plays for others even something as small as kind of keeping his dribble is maintaining his dribble and, and keeping a possession alive is something that i think is really big from him um that was one of my bigger frustrations with killian is that he would just kind of kill his dribble no pun intended and uh, let not and not let plays develop kind of in front of him and see what would happen, and so it's good to see that from Killian or from Saban, excuse me, um, this early on in his career. But yeah, like Saban, Saban's played really well. Um, Pistons might have have hit four draft picks in, in the same draft. I tweeted, I so I tweeted that I tweeted that during uh, the Orlando win, or I tweeted after the Orlando win that you know Sadiq appears to be a hit. Isaiah Stewart appears to be a hit in the draft. Saban Lee, um, you know, maybe he's not going to average double digits in uh, every game. He appears as the backup point guard, 
but like he's definitely got more juice than I thought he did, right? Like if you're just thinking about him as a Jordan Bone clone, like like I did, uh, you know, when he was drafted, you know, Jordan Bone never scored 20 points in an NBA game, if we're being perfectly honest. And so, you know, that those look like hits. Maybe, you know, maybe, you know maybe it remains to be seen. Some people were saying, you know, start Saban, the start Saban movement after the Orlando game. Like, let's not go too crazy, but uh, he could definitely be like a role player on, on a good team. And, uh, you know, right now he can be a role player for this Pistons team with the potential to be more. Um, and so it's like, he looks like a hit, right? Like if you find a useful player in the second round, like that's a hit, like regardless of, of anything else. Uh, and so that made me tweet like, Hey, like, you know, if Troy Weaver hit on these three guys, it means Killian has to be a hit. Right. And I got a lot of varied responses. A lot of people said like, yeah, of course, like Killian is going to be great. Um, a lot of people were like, yeah, of course, like, uh, or they were like, no, like Killian still sucks, which is like, okay, sure. You're, you are entitled. You are in fact entitled to your opinion. A lot of people were like, yeah, maybe, but he should have drafted Tyrese Halliburton, who's clearly like a stud and, and killing it right now. And like, I think, you know, there's, eh, there's maybe something to that. I think we, we, th- it was predictable that Halliburton was going to come in and make an impact right away just because like that's the type of player he was and so um I, that's not a surprise but I think uh people are kind of missing that in in their evaluation of like com- them their comparison between you know Killian and Tyrese Halliburton but you know I, I just thought it was interesting that people were uh after we get we get you know two and now three like pretty good games from Sabin Lee and people who are willing to just like throw Killian Hayes like on the bonfire and like tell him to go like eat dirt. It's like that that's kinda that's kinda crazy, right? Like it was the last Pistons lottery pick that just like didn't endear this kind of uh didn't get like any grace period with the fan base, right? Like even like even like even like KCP, people when people wanted Trey Burke, they were still like, you know, happy they had KCP because KCP like did fun stuff. Um so yeah, would it just I continue to just hope that Killian gets back soon and that he plays well when he gets back. What's next on the list? Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant did not play tonight. I'm actually really glad he didn't play tonight. He had been to my eye looking more uh tired just as a, you know, the physical wear and tear was was beginning to take its toll on him. Um he had to my eye, you know, not uh, attack the rim as much. I actually thought he did a better job of attacking the rim in the Orlando games, but like against like the Grizzlies, like, yeah, it was, it was clear. We, we talked a little bit, Ben and I, Ben Gulker and I, my co-host on the Detroit bad boys podcast, which you can listen to on all other podcast platforms. We talked about how, you know, Jeremy Grant had been struggling outside of the Chicago game in the prior weeks and uh, that he was playing an inordinate amount of minutes. I think he was averaging something like 37 minutes a night and this is obviously the first time Jeremy Grant has had to shoulder an offensive load of being the number one option on a Pistons team or on any team for that matter. And this is also, uh, I'm pretty sure the most he's like the most minutes he's ever averaged in a season. That's a bad combination, right? That's, that's a combination for a guy wearing down and sustaining some sort of injury related to wear and tear. And so I'm glad that the Pistons are aware of that and taking steps and precautions to, uh, to help, you know, ameliorate that. Um, it's, it's really, it's really good to see, especially since like the, the story of the Pistons over the last, I don't know, like seven, eight years 
has been like what if with talented dudes who were either injury prone before they got to Detroit in the case of Blake Griffin or, you know, became more injured uh, as they, you know, went on in in their Detroit career in, in the case of Reggie Jackson, right? Like those are the two main like drink stirrers for the Pistons over the last, you know, seven, eight years. And, you know, uh, having both of those guys out like meant really, uh, really unfortunate things for the team. Um, we saw tonight, though, the team is fully capable of, you know, playing well, playing cohesively without Jeremy Grant. But, you you know, that even makes you think of what this team would be capable uh, with him in the lineup. You know, maybe maybe they could have beaten the, the Pelicans. It would have helped on uh, ben, Brandon Ingram. That's for sure. It would not have helped on Zion Williamson because Zion Williamson is a truck. It's just an absolute unit of a human being that dude is ridiculous zion williamson is an all-star jeremy grant is not an all-star and that is disappointing but not unsurprising right i think the recent stretch of slow play uh you know that we just talked about related to his lack of uh, production related to his lack of efficiency over like the last, you know, seven or so games, we'll call it, was I think enough to, you know, take Jeremy Grant out of serious all-star consideration, but that does not diminish the season that Jeremy Grant is having. I was pleasantly surprised that the coaches uh, rewarded a lot of like uh, first-time all-stars, especially in the Eastern Conference and guys who have had you know, spectacular starts to the season. I'm thinking in particular of, of like Julius Randle, Zach Levine, and and Nikola Vucevic. I don't think this is Vuce's first All Star appearance, but he's he's played really well for an Orlando team that <laughs> doesn't have anything else offensively, as as we just saw in the games that we played. Right, the the game that he played well and Fournier, you know, made 13 free throws or whatever he uh, got to shoot uh, undeservedly. You know, the Magic won. Um, the game in which they started trapping Vucevic to get the ball out of his hands and he was making the right play, but the right play happened to be, like, leaving Alpha Ricominu open. And it's like, that's not great. And it's like, yeah, you, you understand why the Magic are in the predicament that they are in. But that, you know, again, just shows, like, what, what Vuce has been capable of on a night in night out basis to make uh, to make that happen. But yeah, Jeremy Grant, not an all-star. Again, uh, unsurprising, a little disappointing. Um it would have been nice for him to get some acknowledgement for the the leap he's made this year that uh will happen prior to the end of the year. You know, Jeremy Grant obviously uh, isn't an all-star, but he has an excellent 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 case for most improved player. Um, I would be really, really, he has a much stronger case for most improved player than, uh, you know, than all-star case. Um, I'd be really surprised, uh, if he didn't win most improved player no one else, um, you know, comes to mind when, when we're thinking about guys who were guys who have achieved the level of production that Jeremy Grant has this year, um, that weren't doing it last year. They like weren't hurt in a major way or something like that. Right. Like maybe, uh, if it were like comeback player of the year or something, like you could give it to like a Durant who was hurt all of the last year, but like, no, most improved, like, yeah, Jeremy Grant has been like, obviously, uh, one of the, one of the most, uh, 
he's made some of the, the biggest like leaps in progress of any NBA player uh, this season. And so like, yeah, you know, Jeremy Grant is, he's not going to be an all-star, but he is going to get his flowers. And so like, yeah, it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm happy uh, that Jeremy Grant is deservedly going to get uh, some shine. It's just going to, we're just going to wait. It's going to be later in the season. Okay. Uh, next up, Josh Jackson. No, no, we're not going to talk about Josh. Next up is actually uh, Svi. Svi Mahaluk started against Orlando because Wayne Ellington did not. Um, he had a really aggressive like first quarter. He came out firing, made some made some shots early, attacked the basket early, had a nice transition uh, layup in uh, in the first quarter. But uh, ultimately, like his stat line, his box score wasn't uh, super duper impressive. And Svi has been a guy that has uh, initiated a lot of worry and concern among Pistons fans just because uh, I believe he is the longest tenured Piston at this point, which is crazy to think about. But he hasn't played particularly well this year, and he's been struggling to find a rhythm. Uh, He's played in a lot of games, but his minutes have been a little inconsistent. The shot has been a little inconsistent, and obviously, you know, he shot over 40% from three last year, and the uh, the thought was in the preseason that he would continue that. I wrote a piece on Detroit Bad Boys about how Svi, I expected Svi to shoot 40% from three on good volume again this year, space the floor for this team, and then, you know, uh, pr- be prepared to receive a pretty lucrative uh, extension offer from this team who desperately needs shooting. And he hasn't been able to do that so far. And it's been a little bit uh, interesting as to why. It looks like he's put a lot of effort and work into finishing around the rim, which is, you know, good to see. That was an area in which he really struggled last year. He's still a little bit of a two-foot leaper, which is kind of an issue. He still needs to kind of gather himself, like you know, take to, uh, plant with both feet and, uh, and elevate to try and get, uh, you know, any type of uh, verticality around or, uh, you know, through big men. But, uh, and that, and that, you know, limits the type of finishes he can do that limits the, the space in which he has, like it limits, uh, he, he needs more time. It takes, you know, longer to collect yourself off of two feet than it does off of one. Um, and so you generally, if you can uh, pull off more one foot finishes, you can do them quicker. It's easier to, you know, take bigs by surprise and get an advantage that way. He's less able to do that, um, even though it's something he's he's trying to been work on. Uh, but yeah, the but like the thing for Svi is that like he's not making as many uh, you know three pointers as we all kind of imagined he would. He shot you know four of nine from three tonight. That was a pretty good night uh, for him. Those were the only nine shots he took on the game. Was was nine threes like that? That's kind of good. That's forty percent, or that's better than forty percent, give or take. But, you know, on the year, Svi is shooting, what, 31% from three? That's not great. That That's not what we expected out of Svi coming into this season. Um, a lot of people have said, a lot of people have speculated, I guess, that Svi's poor play. But the, you know, obvious nature of his skill set and the obvious value in his skill set across the league makes him a logical trade piece to attach to Blake Griffin in any sort of trade. I still remain pretty insistent that Blake is going to get bought out. And so there's no reason to attach the V uh, to Blake to try and, uh, and facilitate any kind of trade. 
but um like i understand it but like yeah like i think what Svi needs is to just get into a rhythm and uh and stop taking so many uh difficult shots um one thing that uh you know pistons twitter legend uh uh, Ramon or Ramon Alexander has uh, as pointed out is that Svi needs like a little like mid range game. He needs like a two dribble pull up because guys are still treating him like a forty percent three point shooter. So they're flying at him on closeouts, you know, uh, going over on screens, um, overplaying him uh, to drive on DHOs. And so it would be really beneficial for Svi if he could get to you know get to a 15 footer, get to an 18 footer, take one or two dribbles and pull up rise and fire and make those shots. And we've seen he can make those shots because he's a good shooter, right? Like he's shooting 31% in the year, but no one from three, but no one believes Svi is a bad shooter. He has too much of a long history uh, at at Kansas and in the NBA uh, for anyone to think he's, he's all of a sudden just like he forgot how to shoot. But yeah, like Svi needs to, and you know, we talked a little bit about him working on finishing at the rim, but that's still a challenge for him again, because of the two foot finishing. And so like, yeah, I think Svi needs to course correct a little. I think he needs to take, um, what the defenses will allow him to get and shots that he can make and shots that he can benefit off of. Uh, So I think he needs to take a couple mid rangers, um, just, just to get his feet wet, just to get into the flow of the offense, right? And then he can, uh, and then we can worry about him as a perimeter threat. The other thing I would say with Svi is he should probably take uh, less, like really deep threes. He's, it looks like he's made a concerted effort to take uh, a couple steps behind the line threes, uh, like the 20, 26 footers instead of 23 footers, especially from the wings. Um, you, you like to see that just because. Uh, we, like remember when Brooke Lopez was was making threes for Milwaukee and he was shooting like twenty six footers and that extra you know because he was a big man that extra you know couple steps behind the line was really uh, breaking drop coverages in particular because it's hard for big men to cover that much ground. Uh, well, you know Svi is not a big man; he is a guard slash wing, uh, and defenders can cover. That means the guys who are generally defending him can cover more ground more easily. And so there's less of a need for if he's open to shoot a more difficult shot. If uh, if you know if we're just getting Svi open looks through ball movement and uh, and pinging the ball around the perimeter and guys are closing out at him, it makes no sense for him to shoot a 26 footer when a 23 footer will do and it's worth just as many points. You know, I I'm, I know I just like said he should shoot more mid rangers, but that's like when he's shooting. You know off of DHOs or when they got him operating kind of in pick and roll. Um, yeah. Okay. That was, that was a good talk on Svi. Um, he had a good, he had a good game tonight. I hope that, you know, allays a little of the concerns. And I do think that like when or if, but more likely when <laughs> Wayne Ellington is traded, we will see Svi more often and that will give him a more, uh, and that and hopefully that rotation uh, balance, you know, uh, those opportunities make him a more effective player. If you don't have players on the field with the right skills, whether it's breakaway speed or elite playmaking ability, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. 
And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements, or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Speaking of guys who have found opportunities and it's made them good players, Sadiq Bey. Sadiq Bey in the starting lineup has been uh, really effective. He's been everything that I think you could have asked for uh, out of a, a rookie you know, thrust into the starting lineup after the uh, Blake Griffin situation. Um, he hasn't done anything special or different. He's done a better job of finishing around the rim. He had a nice uh, take in transition tonight. Um, He's continued to be a really versatile and threatening three-point shooter with his insanely quick release. uh, You see, like, he's starting to garner uh, a reputation, like, around the league. You, uh, I saw, like, tonight in the uh, New Orleans game, for example, you could see there were times where, like, Brandon Ingram, who was matched up with Sadiq, would be like, oh, like, oh, crap, that's right, like, I gotta guard this guy on the perimeter, like, or if, if, uh, if he wrote, if if Sadiq relocates, he's like, oh crap, I gotta fi- I gotta find him because like Sadiq can make shots, and uh, with the quick release, he can get off the shot before you get a chance to to get in a really good contest. Even for a guy like Ingram, who has the wingspan of a small dinosaur, um, and so like yeah, like Sadiq has played very well. I want to highlight that. Um, I don't want to just highlight Sadiq when he you know shoots uh seven for seven from three against Boston and scores thirty and wins Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Also I also want to highlight him, you know, when he plays like he did tonight. Um shot three, six from three, four of eight from the floor, um, and scored thirteen points, uh and not only only two rebounds and only one assist. Um only one steal, but that steal ooh, that steal was a doozy though. He ripped up Brandon Ingram uh again. And that was a true that was a true uh, steal. He just like really disrupted Brandon Ingram's dribble. Uh, I think that and like that's also like another ancillary side benefit of something that's great with Sadiq is that he's been a really effective team defender right away. And uh, as we saw from the Ingram steal, like if he if he can be a effective like on ball defender in the not too distant future, like all of a sudden like yeah you've got you've got a really effective player. And again like Troy Weaver Troy Weaver just happens to be a genius or something. Yeah. But yeah, Sadiq, uh, Sadiq's been playing really well. I wanted to point that out. He is not doing too much and uh, never really tries to do too much. And that's something I'm so grateful for because rookies just generally try and do like stuff they're not capable of doing right now. And we got to I want to see Sadiq like try and create a little bit more more than I wanted to see him like, you know, relocate and spot up and make these threes that I know he could make. But I'm glad he's not doing that right now because it's keeping him in the starting lineup. It's keeping him effective. Um, it's keeping him low, uh, lower usage. And it's making him a really useful complimentary piece for a guy like Jeremy Grant, uh, even though Jeremy Grant didn't play tonight. Another guy I wanted to bring up was Dennis Smith. Uh, Dennis Smith played 
pretty well in the uh, Orlando games. He's seem he seems to be finding a rhythm. He seems to be playing within himself. Um, he had 11 points and seven assists and three steals tonight. Um, yeah, one thing one thing I think like Pistons Twitter kind of collectively noticed simultaneously the uh, Dennis Smith Jr.'s like active hands on defense. He makes a real effort to kind of get his hands in there and try and disrupt uh, ball handlers on drives, especially like around the rim. Um, we saw like Josh Hart drew a technical because, uh, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. kind of got his hands in there and Mason Plumlee like came across the top and he felt like he get, he got Hart felt like he got fouled. Let the ref know in uh, very explicit language that was also pretty clear on television because uh, we're playing in front of like very few fans. That was that was a pretty that was a pretty fun, uh, funny moment today. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but yeah, no, Dennis Smith Jr. is playing really well on defense, and it kind of we the Pistons sort of kind of had that realization collectively, and that wasn't something that was expected coming uh, into the trade. Everybody knew kind of the reputation of Dennis Smith Jr. as an athlete, as a guy who hasn't shot the ball well, as a um, as a reclamation project out of New York. But no one really talked about his defense. That was not something I really sat down and analyzed. But he's been much more uh, effective on that end than I think any of us like had any right to expect. Um, and credit to him for understanding that that's going to be one of the things again that this coaching staff really uh, sees and encourages and wants to see more of and that's going to be something that keeps him kind of on the floor you know we we you know extolled the virtues of Saban Lee earlier and Saban Lee is playing really well I would you know I would venture to say like truthfully Saban Lee is playing better than Dennis Smith Jr. at this point um but that sort of thing, that sort of defensive impact that Smith is making, that's going to be the type of thing that the coaching staff like is going to put in his favor when they're trying to compare the two. When we see DeLon Wright come back, when we see Killian Hayes get back as like, which one of these guys is going to get minutes? Um, because we like, we, uh, because like we can't play obviously them all. Obviously, you know, Saban has the advantage of, probably being more firmly ensconced in this team's future plans simply by being, you know, a draft selection instead of like just a, a throw in and a trade. But uh, again, like Dennis Smith Jr. has played pretty well. And uh, if he's, if his future is not in Detroit, I think he's on the path to showing enough to stay in the NBA, which is something that wasn't, you know, guaranteed to him, right? Like he was before the trade, he was all set to head to the G League bubble to prove that he had something left in the tank. Um, and I, I'm glad that he has been given an opportunity to show what he's got um, against NBA competition like for the Pistons. Um, with that said, uh, Matt Way tweeted this during the game. Shoutouts to Matt and David and the Inside the Cylinder podcast. Um, you, I, I said this like earlier. like I would find DSJ like every time his first shot is a three-pointer. And Matt tweeted like he noticed like for the last couple of games, DSJ's first shot has not been a three pointer and he's had success. And so like that, that is an axiom that like turned out to be true. Dennis Jr. should just like not shoot that many threes and he definitely shouldn't come out of the gate shooting threes. Um, He was one of four from three tonight and uh, five of 12 from the field overall for uh, for 11 points. So 11 points and 12 shots. That's not great. Didn't get to the free throw line. Also not great. 
But you know, like he made he made a lot of stuff happen in transition, and he had seven assists against zero turnovers. Like I I will take that from a guy. I think people rightly expect it to be a third string point guard. You know, who's been thrust into the starting lineup. Um, and so like yeah, I continue just rooting for DSJ. Right, like I I want him to succeed. I want. I don't know if I want him to be like a full on reclamation project. I don't know if I want like the Pistons to be in a space where uh, they're compelled to pick up that option. For example, is a seven or eight million dollar option for for next year. But I do think that having Dennis Smith Jr. be a success in Detroit will a just like you know further burnish the legacy of Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver as talent evaluators, and in the case of Dwayne Casey. A guy who can get um, you know anybody to play hard and play well uh, if you bring him in, uh, and uh, I think that will be appealing to other future free agents. I think other teams will begin to take that into account when um, you know thinking about like where they want to to and thinking about like what kind of trades they want to make with the Pistons you might be much less likely to trade the Pistons a young player if you think that their development staff is better than yours and can make more full advantage of the guy. Um, but I think you'll, you'll also start to see like ancillary like knock-on actions where you, you'll start to see maybe agents like shift their guys towards Detroit because they know, like A, there's opportunity, and B, like they have a lot of faith in the development staff to get the most out of guys. Um, and, and so like you, you'll, you'll think that, uh, you know, Detroit will be a place where if you are a young guy, you will get opportunity and you'll get the chance to perform and the coaching staff will put you in a position to succeed, which is really all you can ask for as a young guy. Um, you know, obviously that's a big, (laughs) that's a big like conclusion to draw from like an 11.7 assist night from Dennis Smith jr. But the more I read and learn about the NBA, the more I realize that the people who are really like deep in the NBA, the the people who are really deep in the weeds on this stuff, the people for, for whom quite literally this is their life, that type of stuff matters to them, right? Like it's a workplace, it's a business. And so you have a, you know, we have this big business and there's one department that seems to really have an impact on younger employees and, you know, sends out those younger employees into other aspects of the business. And everybody who comes uh, out of that department, um, you know, is, is an effective like management type. It's like, yeah, you, you would want to send more people there. And, you know, obviously the, the Pistons are the department and that's like a horrible analogy. And like, I don't know, I don't know if that was clear or not, but like you, you get what I'm saying. I hope. Do you get what I'm saying? Maybe you don't. Who cares? We can, we can move on, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So I really only had two more things that I wanted to talk about tonight. Um, we've I've gone off on some tangents. I, I hope you forgive me for those tangents. Uh, this is not nearly as structured as last week's solo podcast was. I didn't really sleep well last night. I don't know why. I just like I just didn't have a great sleep. It is what it is. Um, and normally I kind of try to plot stuff out a couple days in advance, and, and that didn't happen. But uh, you don't care about my sleep habits. Uh, the thing I wanted to really talk about was Killian Hayes. Uh, Killian Hayes had a Snapchat post 
of him at the Pistons practice facility. Um, obviously, that was that's really exciting. He is three weeks away from his scheduled reevaluation um, again, and so well, I'm still thinking he's maybe like five weeks away from a return. But uh, he, he's been, but it, since he's uh, three weeks away from the reevaluation, he's been out for six weeks, five weeks at this point, and like a month and a half is a long time for a 19 year old kid who loves to play basketball and has played basketball um, his entire life to not be playing basketball. And so, you know, I wondered about his mental. I wondered how he was doing. I honestly wondered what he thought of the other rookies being put in positions to succeed and like finding that success that eluded uh, Killian early in his career. Right. When you see when like, when you see Sadiq Bey score 30 points or when you see Isaiah Stewart, you know, battle DeMontis Sabonis or when you see Saban Lee score 21 points uh, against the Magic. Um, you, I wonder, like, what what Killian thinks about that and is like, how is he feeling? Because, like, it, you could be like, oh, like, I, this team is really figuring things out. When I finally get healthy, I'm going to get on the floor and I'm going to show everybody, like, what I've got. You could be. And like, this would be a perfectly human thing to do. Like, oh man, like I can't believe everybody else is getting their time to shine and I'm not, I'm so unlucky. Um, you know, I like this, this really sucks. You could be, there could be an element of jealousy. I'm not saying that Killian is jealous. I have no idea what his mental state is. I'm saying, you know, feeling jealousy pangs would be a perfectly human response for a 19 year old kid to have and you know i you see the you see the social media reaction to isaiah stewart the fan base loving isaiah stewart deservedly taking nothing away from what beef stew is doing but you see like the love and adoration they shower on beef stew um you see the you know the accolades sadiq bay gets from the league as a whole you know being named eastern conference player of the week right um and you were drafted higher than both of those guys and you you haven't got a chance to really show what you've got so far. You only played seven regular season games, and and, and you struggled in in those games for the most part. Um, and you know, I, I so I, I wonder about Killian's mental. Honestly, I hope he's doing well. I've got no uh, no insight into how he's doing, um, but I'm glad to see that the recovery apparently continues apace, and that he's at the practice facility. Looks like he's working out. Um, we did get. Okay, here's my here's my semi here's my uh, weekly notice of the Bun and Cardigan show with Nicola Nicholas Henkel and James Edwards the third of the Athletic. James did note in a podcast uh, last week that they do like Killian is like shooting, right? Like he he's you know you don't really need the hip to do like standstill shots, so he, like he is shooting. Um, I asked him if they had him doing like some ball handling stuff too. He says that like, he thinks so. So like it's not like Killian was like, you know, completely doing nothing but rehab for the last five or six weeks. Like and I and I get that. Um and I also thought it was like a little it's it was also like a little nice to like know the Pistons played in Memphis or sorry, they played <laughs> in New Orleans today and um Killian obviously like didn't travel with the team because he would have been in New Orleans otherwise, but he was in the Pistons practice facility. Um and so like you 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 know, he's getting worked on on there. Um and so, like, yeah, you like, I, I just hope he's doing well, and that uh, I want to start preparing people for his eventual return. Uh, I do wonder about the timeline. 
Um, DeLon Wright is going to be reevaluated for his groin strain in two weeks. Uh, So if we get DeLon Wright back in like three weeks, three and a half weeks, we get Killian back like a week and a half after that, that will kind of, that will definitely like impact how uh, Saban Lee and Dennis Smith Jr. like get minutes. Um, like both of those guys are likely not going to keep getting minutes. And so I wonder like who's going to end up winning that battle. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see where that ends up going. We'll see what ends up happening. Um, and last but not least, I wanted to talk a little bit about the draft because it gets crazy recognition, crazy social media hits. You guys are so thirsty for draft stuff. My goodness. I tweet one tiny like power ranking of draft stuff and it's not even like not even like a full big board just like you know eight dudes and people it's like got like 200 likes and like i you know i i like it's like i think everything i tweet is gold but like not everything i tweet gets that much engagement and so like yeah for sure i'm gonna talk about it the uh you can you can go find you can you follow me on twitter at last chance you can go find the big board i tweeted earlier this uh this week um the thing I really want to talk about was was Jalen the Jalen's Jalen Green, in particular, because uh, I had I broke the board down into tiers. Right, I had you know Cade Cunningham in his own tier. I had Evan Mobley and Jonathan Kuminga in their own tier, and then I had a, I, I had a third tier that included you know both Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs and Jaden Springer and uh, James Bonite and Zaire Williams. I think those were uh, all five guys I had in that tier, but people, a lot of people went out of their way to tell me that I had, I should put, I should elevate Jalen green into the second tier. And I just want to explain like why I didn't do that. Um, I explained this a little bit on Twitter, but I wanted to kind of go deeper in depth on it. Um, so like, first off, uh, you know, I did I did the whole tweet thread, but I wanted to abbreviate that a little bit. Um, Jalen Green is six six. If he were six eight, he would most likely be in that second tier, um, just because he would be less likely to be able to be defended by a guy who's bigger than him at the NBA level. Um, Jalen Green's a freak athlete. Like anybody who's watched him for two seconds realizes the freak athleticism that guy has, but uh, that doesn't make him any taller and there are still going to be defenders who can stay with him, uh, laterally at the NBA level and be taller, right? You think about guys like Paul George, guys like Kawhi Leonard, uh, guys like even, even guys like Jeremy Grant, who is a, re- a really good defender, but not quite on the level of like Kawhi Leonard. I think we can be perfectly honest about that. Um, but those guys all have, you know, two, three inches, on Jalen Green and can uh, stay with him and contest his shot, and so that that poses problems for that that would that you can see how that would pose future problems for a guy like Jalen Green. Um, Jonathan Kaminga, on the other hand, is a solid like six eight, and so you would not be able to defend a guy like Kuminga with a taller defender. Um, you know, if if you want to defend Kaminga with somebody six ten that guy is generally not going to be able to slide with Kaminga to like be able to move laterally like he does. Um, and if he is able to stay with Kaminga, it's like 
Giannis or Bam Adebayo or Anthony Davis, guys who can stay with like literally anyone on the planet. And those guys are like all NBA caliber players. And so like you worry a lot less about, about that. Um, so that's part of the reason why I had Jalen Green in particular in the third tier. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention with Jalen Green was that I think he's going to be the type of player that uh, I just I, I see what he's able to do. And I think, OK, so he's going to be the type of player of because of his nuclear athleticism, because of the the highlight plays that he's able to put up because of the like back cut alley oop. Uh, plays the G League Ignite Select team are running for him to like show off what he's a- able to do in uh, in, tra- in uh, like in half court set- settings like with that athleticism, he's going to be a guy that fans like naturally gravitate towards just because his uh, again the ath- the athleticism is so overt, and I have a lot of I have a lot of respect for over earth athleticism. But what I really look for in prospects is uh, like a high skill cap. Um, That is part of the reason why I've been really frustrated with Jonathan Kuminga's play of late. But that's not what we're talking about. Um, So like, yeah, so I I said, you know, I tweeted like you you get Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green to six, eight, and then I'll elevate them into the second tier. The other thing I would say is like, hey, like if if. Uh, you get Jalen Green to, you know, take a little tiny bit care of the ball a little bit better and um, and kind of work on uh, some of the finer details of, uh, of like defense. And I would I'd be much more in love with him um, again. Like that's both of those things. Both of those are things you can both of those are criticisms you can levy at Kuminga. And I have and I will. But again, like Kuminga is just two inches taller and thicker. So it is what it is. But yeah, like uh, people are, I can already feel like a divide happening where like people are going to insist that like I should love Jalen Green and Jalen Green is just going to be a a guy I like really enjoy, but never like fall in love with. He's just not my type of dude. Do not misinterpret that as saying that I think Jalen Green is bad. I do not think Jalen Green is bad. I think he's quite good. I would be happy if the Pistons selected him. He's not he's obviously not my first choice, but uh, you know, I think he'd be really I think he'd be really pleased if the Pistons uh, the Pistons ended up taking him. But yeah, he's just not the the type of player I find myself like gravitating towards. This is the same thing I said about Anthony Edwards like last year. Like Ant was just like a dude who just got like all the athleticism in the world, but just like did like not very smart things on a basketball court. And you're just like, why, why doesn't this dude play smarter? Um, and now you're seeing like, you know, he is still leveraging that nuclear athleticism and he's still, he's and Edwards is, uh, and it has like the dunk of the year and everything on poor Yuta Watanabe. But you also see like the the struggles. He's he needs the floor to be simplified for him. They don't. They're starting to trust him like more in pick and roll situations. But you don't uh, like he was he was struggling early on in the season, and you and you understood why. Um, and like I think Anthony Edwards figures it out. I think uh, Jalen Green figures it out. But you know, in the meantime, just give me 
Cade Cunningham, who is one of the smartest college basketball players I've ever had the pleasure of watching. Or, you know, give me Jonathan Kaminga, who's just two inches taller. <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. Do not, do not misinterpret uh, my ranking of Jalen Green as a, uh, as a reflection of, like, hate. Just know that that's not, you know, that's not my guy. I'm glad that's your guy, but that, that's not my guy. All right. Uh, with on that, like, kind of sour note, nah, 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 we'll, we'll, what, it's whatever. You guys, uh, you guys listen, and I really appreciate that. And uh, you guys also, for the most part, engage in, like, pretty, like, pretty solid conversation, like, back and forth. And I really also really appreciate that. Um, to continue that back and forth, you should follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, you can also listen to my other podcasts, the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this podcast on. This podcast is Pistons versus Everybody. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. See ya.